Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. This week, we have a special edition recorded live at Admiralty House Museum in Mount Pearl. We have two guests here tonight. Our, our first guest on the show is Darlene Redmond, an artist who has always had a keen interest in history and war. She admires the care and dedication given by the people of this province in preserving the history of the Royal Newfoundland Regiment and has created the series that sits behind me on the walls here to contribute uh, to this proud legacy. She lives with her husband and children in Mount Pearl and her, her work is part of this new Armistice 100 uh, display here at the Annex. Our second guest tonight will be Michael Pretty, the founder of the Trail of the Caribou Research Group, Inc. The Trail of the Caribou is a not-for-profit volunteer organization and a registered charity. Their mission is to raise awareness of the accomplishments and sacrifices of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians in military conflicts and peacekeeping missions over the past 100 years. All of the Trail of the Caribou initiatives are founded on values of friendship, inclusion, and respect. So we're going to start with Darlene. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, just to start off with, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the art that's behind us? How did this project get started? Well, it was a heritage fair uh, helping uh, that I was doing with my younger son, uh, young middle son, actually. And uh, we've come to find out through doing the research that one of his ancestors, was his great uncle, was one of the uh, first 500 uh, first, I didn't believe him because his uh, grandmother called him Uncle Ted, and he was known as uh, Leo uh, Terrence. So then once I, I was aware of that, I uh, stopped calling her senile before her time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, we took it from there. But a lot of the uh, images that I kept on coming across were these vivid, sad uh, remembrances that they that were uh, on online and, and for for the most part is where I saw them at first and then I that that's it, it struck a chord with me and uh, it it went from there. Yeah, and you, you had told me before the the show tonight that you had really been painting for about five or six years when you started this this project. Right, and and I did a, a few portraits, but certainly nothing uh, of this scale with with uh, so many faces to be done in that and. And each one of them, you know, I'd start off saying that one of them would be the central figure and I wouldn't really worry about the other ones. But then when you're painting them, you realize they're all, all somebody's son or brother, you know, or husband. And so I tried to do my best to, to represent them and get them on canvas as well. So. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about your process of creating the pieces. So some of them are based on... Uh, photographs, uh, also some motion picture uh, images, yeah. and then you incorporate kind of real objects in them as well. So, how do you, how how do you pick which image you start with? Well, um, the uh, the regimental one was the first one that I got into, and it was after after I gone over to Dr. Williams' house and had seen a lot of the uh, artifacts that he had and realized that I could incorporate them into the, the painting itself. 
but uh, um, and some of them are are uh, uh, artistic license involved as well because I mean they didn't uh, when they went over there they didn't have the blue puttees on them they were taken away and they were given their British uniforms to wear but you know that was my own uh, take on it but you know as as much as I could I researched and we went down to Pleasantville to the old uh, regimental museum when it was there and uh, took a lot of photographs and uh, you know pictures of the guns and and the uniforms and and uh, anything I could get my hands on to to try and uh, you know keep their memory alive yeah, and before you started, you really weren't an expert in any way about yeah. <laughs> no. And I'm still not. Like yeah. there's a, a, a people who know a great deal more than I do. Basically, mine uh, interest was uh, purely for the image I was working on at the time. I, I you know, I uh, and but I really tried my best to to um, be true to what the uh, what they were doing over there and that as well. So. Yeah. Uh, some of the exhibits that are here in, in, in the exhibit, or some of the artifacts that are here in the exhibits, are, are in these paintings. So mm-hmm. specifically, uh, some of them, like the uh, the mess kits, for right. example, are one of the things that are, are in. What, what else are in some of the pieces? The mess kits. The um, even I, I noticed that uh, the um, the canvas bags that John had really helped seeing what they had what they were wearing over there what they were uh, carrying on them uh, the mess kit the spoon the uh, the badges on their hats and um, as well on their uh, uniforms and the buttons even the, you know all those had to be detailed and like I said you have you've got people these were their uh, you know ancestors so they were you know, pretty meticulous as to what was was going on there. So you had to try and, and make sure you used everything yeah. correctly. You've you've built in a family story to one of these paintings, right? Uh, which was about a, an uncle, a great uncle. I had a great. Uh, he was my uncle. Okay. He died. Actually, uh, it'll be uh, seventy five years on the eighteenth of November. He was twenty four, and he was killed uh, clearing the way for the battle in Nortona. And so the um, the one that's uh, the center says, piece yeah, here, yeah, uh, with them in the trenches, uh, uh, writing home. And uh, he always used to say, "I remain your affectionate son, Joe." He also wrote home to his brothers in that, but uh, I wanted to put it as his affectionate son, Joe, and and uh, his name was Joseph Kalp. So, and I actually had the uh, opportunity to go visit his grave last year over in Italy, and that was it was quite an honor to be there and see where where he was buried. I wanted to ask you about that because you also mentioned that that you have gone to some of these sites that since you started this project you've traveled and, and been to some of these places. Oh, yeah, because I love history anyway, so I mean, but so there was no problem to do that. But we went over to Beaumont Hamill in 2016, and I mean, that I felt was, you know, wonderful and stuff, but... We're there, and we realize we're we're standing up there on the monument, and they've got the arrows pointing to the other caribous. And I said to Wayne, my husband, I said, you know, I think they're fairly close. So we so we uh, went in to see the uh, interpretation center to see the uh, lady there, and she and asked her about where they were to, and it was no problem. We just found them all within the, uh, the day, really, and uh, it was quite it was quite fun doing it, and the uh, the. Uh, First piece that I did was done uh, from the that paint, uh, painting was done from Gudicor, and I, as I was telling you earlier, I thought it was going to be a big 
moment for me getting there and, and seeing where I'd done this first image and there was these biker guys and girls there and they were kind of rough around the edges and their English wasn't good and my French wasn't good and uh, I was kind of worried that something was going to happen to us. So we took a few snaps and then we just left really fast. And that, but, uh, but yeah, but, uh, uh, you, you were saying about that first, the first painting, uh, the regimental painting, that you had based it on a photograph but had changed the background slightly. Right. Uh, but then when you arrived, the landscape was very so similar. Very similar. Yeah. Like I, the, in the original photograph, there's a huge army tent in the back and it didn't, it didn't sit well with me in terms of what I was trying to do with the piece. I was trying to make it about them and not necessarily about keeping it historically accurate. So I wanted to put the French countryside in. So I went on and Googled and, and would get all kinds of Im- uh, images up. And when I found the one I wanted, I put it in. And when I got over there uh, and looked around, it's, it, this particular monument is just in the, sitting in the middle of the countryside. And it looked just very similar to what I had put in it. So it was, quite, it was a bit of an eerie feeling. Uh, what has people's response been to when they see these pieces? Because these are in your home. These are personal, yeah. private works of art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they take up a lot of space. I'm missing them now. So, <laughs> but every Remembrance Day, I'm really appreciative that Sarah's brought them here because every Remembrance Day, I kind of go in and sit with the boys and have a drink with them and that. And uh, um, the, I want people having conversation. That's all I wanted from these, and I got that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other ones are, are uh, the uh, replicas are out in my husband's office, and he gets people coming in a lot, talking about them, and and uh, you know, saying that they have relatives that were in the war, and, and he's it's a real conversation piece for them. I don't get it a lot at home because I don't open it up, sure, yeah. up to having people in, but uh, you know, when certainly when they get into uh, exhibits like this where they get a chance to get out, I love it because it does start start a conversation. Mo- not about what I've done, but about the people that were involved and how they were changed by what happened to their relatives that you know that didn't get back, or people that got back but they didn't talk about the war because they were so damaged by it. Mm-hmm. Every family was touched by this, and and that's what I like to hear. Now, where did you grow up? You in in uh, so the south shore of Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. So so the so Remembrance Day on July the the July first for Beaumont Hamill. There was nothing ever mentioned over there. I never heard of it until I came over here and saw them marching down the street in Cornerbrook when we first got in. And I said, why are they marching down the street? And he said, oh, it's, it's uh, uh, Beaumont Hamill. He said, that's a big big deal. Yeah. And then, you know, it went from there. Because it really was something that touched people here uh, very personally, the First I think World it's, War. It's more visceral here. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that we didn't uh, grow up hearing about my uncle. Because we did, and it was a big deal, but everybody here was touched. There was not one family that wasn't impacted by this, and um, and they're proud. They're proud, but they're sad. They're sad, proud because it was such a horrible time. You're telling me how much you like putting in um, a sense of these men as as real people. One of the stories you were telling me about was the the gentleman shaving in the yep. in the painting behind yeah. me that you wanted to convey. Something about his his kind of day to day life. Yeah, norm- the normalcy of of him is saying, you know, I, I feel better if I could get just get a shave and that, and 
you know, some people think it actually that that one, that they're coming up from a, a mine underground, but that one was done from Gallipoli. And, uh, but when I saw that piece and saw him shaving, that would be such a normal thing for you to do, but you'd normally be standing in front of your mirror and doing it. You know, certainly today you'd be doing it with electric razor, but, uh, yeah. But, uh, I wanted to ask you about the, the last painting that you painted, mm-hmm. uh, the one of the the two gentlemen uh, kind of embracing, the one soldier holding the other soldier. Right. Why did you pick that image to, to finish this series with? What was it about that that spoke to you? When I, when I was researching all of them, it kept, uh, the theme that kept on coming back to me on images and videos that I saw online were of uh, PTSD and shell shock. And then they were calling it shell shock back then, but it was what it would be called now. And I just thought there would be more... Um, images of that kind of thing than there would be of them, you know, on the backs of trucks waving and that. There would be more episodes of that out in the field than there would be of, of the happy times that, that were done. I wanted, I wanted to convey that in at least one of them. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. A round of applause for our first guest. And I'm going to ask Michael Pretty to come up. So we're going to talk now about the, the Trail of the Caribou. Can you give me a little bit of a, a, a snapshot of what the organization is and what you do? Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> or how did, it, how did it get started? How did it get started? It's, it involves Bowman Hamill, my dad, and a glass of scotch. So, uh, and like my father, I, I like to tell a story. So in 2006, on June 30th, was the end of a two-year cycle of planning for me, because in 2004, uh, Colonel Hutchings and Colonel Leonard had me in their office and said, you're taking the regiment to France for the 90th anniversary of Bowman Hamill because we have never been there before. I'm like, oh, okay. And then they started the the political movement around, and I did all the the planning and detailed stuff. And um, we had been there for seven days, we had visited all the caribous. This is the last thing we were going to do. And we had this big dinner at Beaumont Hamill. Brought in a tent, floors, laid it all out flat. And um, everybody had gone home. And I was there because I had to be there early the next morning. So I just slept there. Uh, and then there's a, the lady that lives there let me sleep on her couch. Um, so and my dad was a soldier. In, uh, and he was there as a soldier on parade when Joey Smallwood visited. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I've got to call my dad now. I didn't care what time it was in Newfoundland, but luckily it was earlier. So I uh, had my little flask of scotch, and I go down and sit by the caribou. And it's, you know, it's midnight, and it's eerie, because you can feel them, right? They're still there. All those men are still in that field. And uh, so I call him and say, hey, you know, it's done. And uh, he was the one that had uh, did the moose antlers and, and, the, and the caribou antlers. That's a whole other story that we brought over and donated to the, the farmer in Belgium that looked after the Ricketts site. And I said, it's done. Uh, it's, it's been a success. You know, we, we were having the big parade tomorrow. I wanted to call it and, and say, you know, thanks for teaching me about our family history because I had no idea that there were uh, two members from Chapel Arm, pretties that were, one was killed in the war at Machi and never came home and never found his body. And uh, Edward... Um, was in the forestry corps, and he got sick and came home and, and died. And then there were 40 other members of my family from England that were killed in the first war. And I had no idea of that in 2004. So I'm having a drink with my dad, and he's having a drink in Newfoundland in Chapel Arm. And uh, he said, you know, 
I'm hearing on the TV and I'm reading the news about the Air Brothers and the Merchant Sun and all this stuff. He goes, but every story is important. And I said, yeah, you're right, because there's, there's the privates and the soldiers. And, and it's not because they, they don't want to be remembered. It's just the story is better if it's told a certain way. So I made a promise to him uh, and to those men in that field that I would do whatever I could to remember them. So yeah. now we're here, 12 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this has turned into a huge job. It's an obsession. <laughs> it's an obsession. So how many, how many soldiers are we talking about? Um, we, we're, we look at, uh, and most of the research is done by Ian Parsons and David Parsons and other people. I'm the orchestrator of it. I, I can put people together and, and get them to do certain things. And like uh, Neil can attest, he's been over there with me three times now. Dragged him to Malta and, and uh, uh, Alexandria, and that's where... The other ear relatives buried, and we've got a picture of that cemetery. So uh, this all comes together with a little Turkish boy as well. And he was a, his father was an immigrant on the Buren, and he contacted me in 2005 because he was doing research in his, uh, in his, uh, for school. And he had to link where he was, where he is now in transportation. So he figured out that the Florizel linked in, uh, was rescued Yuma Critter from the ice... Uh, the ceiling disaster, and the Florizel brought the first 500 to war, which Yuma Quarter was on, and Yuma Quarter was the first combat casualty in the regiment buried in Gallipoli. And then when that little kid went home at the age of nine, he brought beach rocks from the Buren and put on Yuma Quarter's grave. And myself and Neil and, and a bunch of others, we have done that to 2,021 Newfoundland graves overseas. But through reading obituaries and reading... Um, uh, all the announcements, we've, we have Newfoundlanders in the Canadian, British, American, Australian, New Zealand, and South African militaries. So we're tracing about 13,500. And the only one we haven't been to is the fellow that's buried in uh, Iraq. Right. He was with the British, uh, British Inland Water Transportation Company, and he was killed in the Mesopotamia campaign in 1918. So because of that Turkish kid, we, we visited all these graves. We've put a rock on, on every one of their graves or their memorials because over half don't have a known grave. And, um, and we were paying more attention to the, to the Naval Reserve and the merchant marines, the, merchant, the mercantile marine. You were, you were telling me a story about a, a, a fellow who had enlisted and then uh, yes, shifted over to the merchant is, marines. Um, yeah. That's Reuben Plowman from Port Rexton. And uh, he, he was in the Royal Naval Reserve, and he finished his tour. So he was a merchant mariner on the uh, Larch Grove. And uh, they were en route from the Mediterranean back to Scotland with a load of cargo. And on that ship, there were two British sailors who were Royal Naval Reservists. And the U.S., the United States ship, um, the Hawaiian, cut through them and tore the ship in half and... The two merchant mariners and some other ones died, and Reuben Plowman died. But because it was an enemy action, he's not a Commonwealth war dead, but the two people who were in the military, in the Royal Naval Reserve, were. So we've, we've uh, made a case to the Commonwealth war graves that you know, he should be a, a war dead, and they've said no because he was a civilian, and it was an enemy action. So uh, our next step is to talk to the people from Port Rexton, to put up a monument or something to him next to their war memorial. So that's the kind of stuff that, that we do. Yeah. 
and it is kind of an endless project. I mean, there's it's never going to end because once when we're done this, we're going to go back to the American War of Independence because yeah. there were Newfoundlanders in that. Uh, I learned last week that there's a Newfoundlander who won the Medal of Honor in the American Civil War, and then there's the Boer War, there's the War of 1812, and when all that's done, it'll be the Second World War, Korean. So. Yeah, you have some work cut out for you. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping somebody else, somebody else will take on one of those because my yeah. wife is awesome. Like she's, uh, you know, my best friend. But I think it's getting to the point where it's it's enough. You know, uh, I just came back from from France and Flanders again, uh, researching where the POWs were kept and stuff like that. Yeah, what was the Change Island story? Oh, that's uh, accessing memory banks. Right, uh, Uber, no Walter, Walter Scammell, and Walter was a soldier in the regiment. And he had, was wounded two or three times. And towards the end of the war, he said, you know, I think I'm going to join the Air Force. And uh, he went to, out to the coast, out to Cambridge area, and he caught pneumonia. And he died on the 11th of November, 1918. So when he died there, because everybody in Newfoundland knows everybody. The, the priest who was studying in Change Islands and was the priest there and a family friend actually was in Cambridge when he died, telegraphed the father, and then he, he buried that son, um, and there was a civilian headstone because the Commonwealth War Graves were just getting kicked in and started up. And uh, when I visited there in 2013, it was in pretty bad shape. So we, we wrote the Commonwealth War Graves, and um, they said, yep, this should be repaired I was back there again this July en route to somewhere else in the world. And I went to visit it, and it still hadn't been repaired. So um, last week, I got an email saying, yep, yeah, it's approved. We're going to put up a Commonwealth Wargrave headstone, but we need uh, family to uh, okay it. So modern technology, I hit my phone and say, call Change Island Mayor. Calls the mayor. He goes, yeah, I know that guy. And I, two, three hours later, I'm talking to his relative, and now we've linked them in the Commonwealth War Graves up, so he should have a new headstone, hopefully in a few months. Yeah. It's been an 18-month process. So. Yeah. so that's the kind of work that I think that we need to do. And, and it's, we looked at two, two 2021 Newfoundland graves, and there was only two that needed to be fixed. The other one is up in um, Greenock, Scotland, and he was... Um, he was, that's another story, but they're, they're replacing that one uh, shortly as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. what, what was the, um, the event that happened in Puchkov? That was fairly recently. You were, you were involved with some commemoration there. Yes. So that's, that's the Baldwin family story. Um, there were seven Baldwins from Puchkov that went to war and two came back. Um, three of them were brothers. One was a brother uh, who worked as an um, elevator operator in Montreal. So when the war started, he joined the Canadian Army. The youngest brother was still fishing in Pooch Cove, so he joined the Newfoundland Regiment. The middle brother was in the United States Navy. They hadn't joined the war, so he got out of the U.S. Navy in England and joined the British Army. And their two first cousins, uh, one of them was in the regiment, and another one was in um, the Canadian Army. So the sad story about the three brothers is none of them have a known grave, and they were all killed. Two were on the Menin Gate, and one is on the, the, the wall at Beaumont Hamill. And when we were doing research, uh, Ian stumbled across their father's headstone. 
And he, he looked at this private. That's kind of weird. So we dug up the headstone and pieced it back together on the ground because it was in five or six pieces. And it said, you know, to Edward Baldwin, who died in this state, and his three sons who never came over from the war. And they list the son's rank and name and their date of death. Hmm. Um, so we figured it's not a Commonwealth war grave. It's not a soldier's grave. It's not a last post thing. So that's where I think my group is going to step in to, to do that. So we took the headstone and had it copied onto a, a bigger, thicker piece of granite um, by the uh, Grand Concourse Authority and involving the community with the mayor, some relatives, the kids do the, pl- the pledge to remember the church and getting permissions to do all this. We put a new headstone in there. Um, and we copied exactly what was on the old headstone onto a new headstone. And then the old one we put together, and the church is going to put it on the wall inside the church. Okay. So they, I think that's a piece of Newfoundland history that we need to, we need to remember that stuff. Because mm-hmm. until tonight, you probably never heard about the Baldwin's from Pooch Cove. One of the first cousins is on the, on the Vimy Ridge Memorial. And the other cousin that died is um, died at Goudicourt. I did a painting about Goodencore. And another second cousin from uh, the Bay of Islands is also killed. So mm-hmm. the Baldwin family had a horrific, horrific time, uh, and one came home. We were just saying, when we were chatting with Darlene, about how, how much that war impacted families here mm-hmm. in Newfoundland, that, yeah. that it really was quite, um, quite far-reaching in its, in its history, you know, that, that so many families were touched in one way or another. And, and still continue to be touched. Oh today. yeah, still to this day. Uh, you know things like we, um, we 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 get calls and say, "Hey, I've never been to my relative's grave," and I go, "Okay, where do you live?" And we drive over and we give them a picture of the grave with the rock we put on it and the Newfoundland flag, and we say, "Here," and the the, the appreciation they have and the, the emotion they have is unreal. It's unreal and. And that's my guilty, my guilty, because that's what I get out of it. I get that feeling of, hey, we just did something cool there. Yeah. Yep. How often are there are there graves that kind of fall through the cracks, where there there were people who served in some capacity, but who maybe don't have a, a Commonwealth War grave, or you know, have an official headstone or official memorial? Well, it, it's hard to say because there there's rules in place. So if you're a merchant marine and you were killed by enemy action, you're a Commonwealth war grave. And in the case of Plywin's case, it wasn't by enemy action. Right. Um, there are some. Um, Hemel was one that we had fixed because he was uh, in the Royal Naval Reserve before the war started. And he, when the, when the king said report to duty, he got on the Kyle and from Cartwright and came down here. And he got sick and died. And he, they went into Coley's Point and they put him in a friend's house or a hospital there. And he died during the war reporting to duty in uniform. And it wasn't until 2005 when David Parsons got him approved as a Commonwealth war grave. Hmm. So he's in Coley's Point. Yeah. And an odd story about Coley's Point, I, I, I can go on for hours. Across the road from where he's buried, there's a stick. Regimental number one, and in the cemetery across from that, because they're all different religions, right? There's Pike, who was the last known regimental soldier to be alive. So in that little corner, there's the first Newfoundlander to die, the first guy to join the regiment, and the last Royal Newfoundland Regiment soldier alive. And it's all within 100 feet. 
So, and and how well do you think people know these stories? Um, well, that's that's the obsession, right? Because I yeah. think we need to record that, and we need to we need to make it aware. So, you know, today I had this great uh, experience at a school. So we we will go to schools and we will do interpretive talks, but we bring in things like helmets or. Uh, and the teachers love this one. You know, they used to have that stick, and they'd rotate it, go click, 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 and make for gas attacks. I think there's one in the exhibit yeah. here, yeah. So in the school today, my daughter, because it was her <laughs> class, <she's> like, <laughs> <laughs> and there were all the teachers who poking them. I said, oh, sorry, too much noise. Gas attack. And then we have, like, medals and replica medals and that they can touch. But at the same time, uh, my mother is German. I had German family. So I bring in German flags and, and German, the Iron Cross. And we tell about the story about Cyril Gardner and winning the Iron Cross. He was given to it uh, by a German officer. And so the kids are touching and learning about both sides of the war. And then we usually end, depending on the grade, um, we ended today with Winnie the Pooh, because it was, it was grade four, and the horse named Vimy, who was born during the Vimy Ridge battle, and glowworms. So that was how we did that. And, yeah. <laughs> So it's it's uh, I have a lot of fun at it. It's uh, I like I like kids. I like teaching. I like sharing knowledge and stuff. So it's it's good. It's fun. And so what's next? What's next on your agenda? What's on your to do list? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the to do list is um, so the, the biggest reason is I'm fortunate that I, that I, when I travel um, I have a full pension. I I, and I I don't have spare money, but I, I can afford to travel. And a lot of people can't. To go to to go to England, or it's for two weeks. is it's a lot a lot of money. So we want to develop a website so that people can do it virtually through the website and track their relatives and know where they fought or where they're buried or what hospitals were in. So when we went to Malta, there were 26 hospitals in World War One in Malta. We've got pictures of all those hospitals mm-hmm. and the cemeteries. And and my friend Matthew from France. Uh, he's done drone footage of all, of all the battlefields and, and all the ships that were sunk. We know where they were sunk in the Latin longitude. We know the might usually the German submarine that sank them. We have pictures of the submarine or one like it. So all this data will eventually be on a website, which is why we fundraise. <laughs> so if everybody in Newfoundland sent me a dollar, I could have it done. <laughs> One dollar from every person, and, if, and we could have it. We'd, it'd be finished in a year. If people want information on Trail of the Caribou, you have a Facebook group. We have a Facebook group called Trail of the Caribou, and we the they can get me at uh, at our website trailofthecaribou.ca, or just link uh, send me a message to the Facebook page. Thank you, Michael.